The following audio is from West Pines Community Church. For more information about West Pines, visit us online at westpines.org. You can join us live Sunday mornings at 9.45 or 11.30 a.m. in Pembroke Pines, Florida, or online at westpines.org. We're in a series called Survival Essentials, um, and the, the purpose of this series is to give you some essentials to become a mathetase. And some of you are saying, well, what is a mathetase? Well, a mathetase is a very fancy word. Um, but it's a word that we use to describe somebody who is a disciple of Christ. Now, why don't we use the word disciple? Well, we don't use the word disciple because that word's been kind of overused, it's been watered down, and the word mathetase is the original Greek word that describes exactly what that should be, which is somebody who's all in, somebody who's completely focused on God, who's drawn to him. And this series is called Survival, I'm sorry, Survival Essentials, is about some different things. Not everything you need to know to become a math taste, but some of the practices that you need to know to become a math taste. So one of the things we've been doing during the series is we've been having Survival Dan give us some tips. So I thought it'd be good to bring him on out this morning, and we'll have him give us a couple of survival tips. Morning. Morning. Dan, why are you wearing a peep costume? It's not a peep. It's a yellow-bellied whippoorwill. Yellow-bellied whippoorwill. Um, it says peep right on it, right there. Nope, it's a whippoorwill. I've spent the past week documenting the migratory paths of yellow-bellied whippoorwills in the Everglades. I'm writing an autobiography. It's going to be amazing. You're going to love it. Yellow-bellied whippoorwill. That's not a peep. I don't even think you know what a yellow-bellied whippoorwill looks like. Yeah, it's a bird. You want me to show you one? I brought a slide. Sure. All right, go ahead and put up that first slide. This is a yellow-bellied whippoorwill out in the wilderness. <laughs> Dan, that's a picture of you in that costume. I did see a lot of them in the Everglades, though. But you don't have a picture of one for us. I don't have a picture of one right now. All right, well, today we're not really talking about birds. That really wasn't what we had planned. We're talking about hydration. So I was hoping maybe you could share some tips with us about how to get clean water if you're out in the wilderness, because that's something we all need to have. Yeah, well, it actually does tie in well, because while I was documenting the migratory paths of the yellow-bellied whippoorwill, I was also documenting proper hydration techniques. You know, when you're out in the wilderness, hydration is incredibly important. It could change your life out there. You could lose your life if you don't have proper hydration. So the first tip I have for you is bring as much clean, purified water as you possibly can, as, as good water as you can find, as much of it as you can, and bring it with you. And I actually brought a slide to show you how to do that. Go ahead and put up the next slide. Bring as much water with you as possible. Yep, Dan, that's an entire water dispenser. I was out there for a long time. That's, the average person can't carry that thing around on their back. Okay, well, if you decide not to bring a good amount of water with you, maybe taking your life into your hands, but there's another technique you can do. It's called the sock technique. What you do is you take one of the socks off your feet. Go ahead and put up the next slide. You take that sock, you put it in any water source you can find to get as much water in the sock as you can, and then you use that sock to filter out the water. Go ahead, go to the next slide here. Use that sock to filter out the water so you can get clean drinking water. Um, a question? Yes. Is that the sock you were wearing? Yes. Yes, it was pre-moistened. So, so it's your assertion yep. that the water coming out of that sock is cleaner than the water that went in? Yes, how much so? I don't know. Okay, how often does this technique actually work? Not all that often. Uh, about 10 minutes later, go ahead and put up the next slide. This is me about 10 minutes later. Uh, 
Probably a good 70% of the time it doesn't work. But that 30%, you've got to clean water. Well, not only that, but now you don't have a sock on one of your feet. It's, it's very true. It's a soggy walk back. All right, so those weren't really useful, if I'm I've being honest. I've got another one. Um, okay, let's try one more. Third time's the charm. If the sock weirds you out, go ahead and put up this. Use a straw. <laughs> yep. Okay, there's no filter in that straw. No, but it keeps your face out of the water. It's important. Okay, so you're just drinking the water right out of the, what is that, a canal? Yes, that's a canal there. Okay. Uh, and it worked well. How often does that work? Really never. Um, and so if that doesn't work, then what happens? Well, go ahead and go to the next slide. Usually this typically happens. <laughs> At that point, you get airlifted. Well, unfortunately, these are two minutes of your life you'll never get back. Um, I would say thank you, but I don't think that's appropriate. Oh, you're quite welcome. Um, but we appreciate you taking the time to attempt to help us figure out how to get clean water. You guys want to help me think Survival Dan? Absolutely. All right. Absolutely. I apologize. Um... We do have one more week in this series. All we can do is hope for the best. Um, I would encourage you not to miss next week, though, because I'm feeling like we could have a very interesting survival tip. All right, so today we're in the book of Romans. And in the book of Romans, it's split into two parts. That are, it's interesting the way that it's laid out. The book of Romans is actually a letter that Paul wrote on his third missionary journey. And a lot of the books of the Bible are letters that were written, kind of instructional letters. And Paul takes the first 11 chapters and goes through a lot of really theological stuff. Well, what does that mean, theological stuff? Really deep stuff about God. So he goes through all this theological stuff, but it's basically about one particular idea, and that's what we refer to as the gospel. So he spends 11 chapters unpacking this idea of the gospel, which is basically that he sent Jesus to take our place as far as the penalty of sin goes, and gave us a chance for eternal life. So he spends this entire 11 chapters unpacking it. As a matter of fact, part of those 11 chapters is probably the most famous representation of the gospel that you'll find. It's called the Romans Road. Uh, it starts with Romans 3.23, which basically says that we're all sinners. We're all in need of a Savior. Romans 6.23 says that we all need a Savior to come in and save us from our sins. And then Romans 10.9 tells us how to do that by believing on God. So oftentimes you'll hear that if you're sharing your faith with your friends, you might use those scriptures, but it's a very well-known part of the Bible. So after he spends 11 chapters talking about that, you would think, okay, that's good, we're, we're good to go, next book. But it's interesting because Paul takes a practical turn at that point, And he starts to unpack for us what does it look like to live out the gospel. So that's what we're going to talk a bit about today. We're going to start in chapter 12. We're going to look at verses 1 and 2. If you want to grab your Bibles and pull that out, we're going to also put it up on the screen. But I want to look at a couple of verses there that help us unpack this idea of how to live out our life um, with respect to the gospel. So verse 1 says this, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. 
Now, it's interesting the way that he words this, because at the beginning it says, I appeal to you therefore. Now, what does that mean? It seems like a pretty benign phrase, but there's a very important word there. That word therefore basically means, because of everything I just told you for 11 chapters, these are the things you need to do. So he's saying, if you believe those things, then these are the things that you need to do. Then he goes on to say, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, it's often misunderstood that this is considered to be your physical body because of the word body being used. But the, the uh, original word actually means your entire being, your entire self. So that includes your physical body, your spiritual body, your, your mind, mentally, everything is included in that. So it's not just talking about how you live your life physically or taking care of your physical body. It's talking about your entire existence. And then he goes on to say, do not be conf- well, I'm sorry. Do not be conformed to this, to, the, uh, to this world. He says, all right, this world is bad. If you remember way back in the beginning, Genesis, first couple of chapters, we talked about this a couple of series ago, Adam and Eve, big mistake, the world became cursed. So the world is a cursed place. So if we use the world to teach us what to do, we are going in the wrong direction. So I want to back up just a little bit. In the middle of verse 1, he says, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice. Now, why does he say it that way? A living sacrifice. It's kind of a weird phrase. Well, here's the reason he says that. Back in Old Testament times, they used sacrifices to atone for for sins. And what would happen is they would bring their sacrifices to the temple um, to atone for the sins. And the the priest would then sacrifice typically an animal of some sort. And then that would be an atonement for the sins that they committed. The interesting thing about that is that those animals were unwitting participants in this process. They were not voluntarily participating. They were just a part of the process. The other interesting thing is that when Paul points out here living sacrifice, he's actually saying not only are we alive and well and alive in Christ, but we are willing sacrifices. We are willing participants in this ritual. As a matter of fact, the word for living, the original Greek word, is best translated informed or understanding. So he's saying, unlike old times where an animal sacrifice was used to atone for the sins, you are actually a living sacrifice. This is another important point. He wants our entire life to be a sacrifice to him. The sacrifices only happen in the temple but he wants our living sacrifice to be our entire life. So this applies not only to what happens in here, but every other part of our life. Scary. So he warns us about the world that he lives in, and he says, you have to renew your mind. So how do we fight that temptation? How do we fight the temptation that comes with the world? Because we're faced with it all the time. The world is full of temptation. And he tells us right there in the verse, he said, with the renewal of your mind. It's so, such an important phrase because what he's basically saying is the only way to be a living sacrifice is to get your mind right first. But why does he say that? Can't you just learn a bunch of rules and, and be able to just do the right thing? Can't you just kind of have a lot of willpower and do the right thing? Sure, part of the time. But when your thinking counts... Is, is, it's when you have an involuntary response. For instance, when you're tired. When does our true self come out? When we're tired, when we're frustrated, when we're weak, when we're overwhelmed. Anybody be, can be good when you're feeling good. Anybody can do the right thing if things are going your way, but when you start to get frustrated and tired or angry, 
That's when we find out what we're really like, and that's where the renewal of our mind becomes so important because it's that renewing of our mind that's going to help us to instinctually make the right decisions. It's not about being perfect because none of us are perfect. It's about being intentional. If your goal is, I mean, I've heard so many people say, hey, you know, I'm not perfect. Okay, that's fine. Nobody is, but that's also not an excuse. You do have to be intentional with what God's given you. So how do we do that? How do we do this renewal of your mind thing? Well, first of all, it's a process. It's interesting, when we become believers, there's some things that God imparts upon us, some gifts. He gives us the Holy Spirit, which helps direct our life, direct our thoughts. But he doesn't magically transform our mind so that all of a sudden, we can just do everything correctly. It's a gradual process. It's a learning process. And the best way to do that is we have to figure out how to change the input because if you don't change the input, the output's never going to change. Have you ever heard the phrase, insanity is doing the same thing, expecting a different result? If we don't change the input of our mind, our instinctual reactions will not be the right reactions. So what are the things that are the inputs of our mind? I would say the, the number one thing for me is reading. I love to read. Um, there's just so many good things out there, so many things to learn. I'm a little bit of a history buff, so I love that kind of stuff. I think there's a lot to learn from history. But reading is such a rich opportunity to feed our minds. But here's the, the tricky part about reading. Reading is also very secretive. Even more so today, because... It used to be that if you wanted to read a book, you had to carry it around. And everybody was going to know you were reading it. So if it was a book that's a little embarrassing, you had to be strong enough to be able to carry that book around and still read it. Now you can read any book you want. Nobody knows what you're reading. You've got your devices. You've got your Kindle. You've got your tablet. You can... Used to be when you get on an airplane, one of the ways you start a conversation is you look and see what somebody's reading and be like, hey, I've read that book, or hey, what's that book about? Now it's like, hey, nice tablet. Yeah, I, don't know. I wish I had one like that. I mean, there's so it, it can be so secret. And the things that we do in secret are sometimes the most dangerous things. You know, I, I looked up some statistics, and I was just curious how many books there are in the world now. According to Google, there are almost 130 million books in the world today. It's like, wow, that's like a number you can't even, I mean, understand. And it also said that the average person reads six books a year. So if you're going to read six books a year, and let's say, for the sake of argument, you've got 40 years left, right? That's 240 books you're going to read in your lifetime out of 130 million. That means there are 129,999,760 books you are not going to read. So what we select to read is critical because we have, we're going to read a small fraction of what's available. I know for me, one of my things is I'm a little bit OCD, so once I start a book, I have to finish it, no matter how bad it is. If it's like, dude, this is so bad, it's just terrible. I mean, like, this person has no idea what they're talking about. I have to, but I've, I've taught myself lately, hey, you don't have time for that. 
if it's not right on, if it's not good, if it's not challenging you, delete it. Or if you still read the old kind, throw it away, I guess, I don't know. But we can't afford to allow ourselves to spend time reading something that's not valuable. Now, let me say this. I love to read fiction, too. It's okay to do that as a relaxation thing. But that shouldn't be the main part of your intake. What's another thing that challenges us? The things that we see. One of the biggest places that we get challenged by the things we see, I think, is on our TV. You know, I've been blown away just for the last couple of years at some of the things that you will see on TV now that are okay, that used to not be okay. Uh, I remember when I was a kid, my parents were involved in this organization. I don't even know what it was called, but basically they would watch segments of TV, report back to this Christian organization things that were said or done or commercials that were inappropriate, and then that organization would take that information and put pressure on the networks to change their programming. It's like this whole big thing, and I was like, wow, I wonder if that really works. And what I wonder now is, that does that organization even still exist? Because there's so many things, and it's, there's so many dangerous things out there when you turn on your TV. I mean, everybody has 400 channels, and, you know, there's show about everything. And, and as I watch some of the things, you know, you'll turn on, sometimes I'll turn on the, the wrong channel, and there's more beeps than words. It's like, beep, beep, car, beep, 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 fast, beep, beep. It's like, I don't even know what they're saying. (laughs) But let me say this. Same way with the fiction reading. Sometimes I come home, it's 9 o'clock at night, tired, it's been a long day, been in meetings all day. I just want to veg out a little bit. So Sometimes I turn on the King and Queens. It's the funniest show ever made. I've watched all of them like 400 times. So it's, it's not that it's not okay to watch stuff on TV and to be entertained, but there's so many good things. You've got to really filter because what's happening is whatever you're watching is getting into your mind and it's affecting the way you think. Another category, what we hear. I think, honestly, this is the most dangerous one because hearing can be a passive thing because a lot of times what we're hearing is besides what else we're doing. It's the music we're listening to while we're doing something else. It's the music playing at the place that we happen to be, that we don't necessarily agree with the lyrics, but it's playing, we're hearing it. It's the things that are happening that we're not even realizing because we're kind of not focused on that. We're doing something else, but it's coming into our brains because here's the thing. Even though you can't understand the lyrics consciously, they're getting in there. Our neighbor last night had a gigantic party uh, right across the street. Um, as far as I know it went after midnight I gave up and went to bed at that point but as I was sitting in the living room I was actually in the living room and I could pretty much hear it clearly I thought I was actually there Um, just listening to some of the lyrics it's like oh my gosh what's going on like you're, you're and with a song you play it over and over and over so it's one thing to read something in a book and say okay that was not good let me get that but with a song you're like pounding that into your brain We have to protect ourselves from this stuff. And then there's a fourth category, which I think is the people that you spend time with. And let me just say this. We're going to always challenge you to spend time with people that are not Christians. Why? Because that's the way they're going to find out about Jesus, is you're going to speak into their life. Chances are, almost everyone I talk to 
was open to the gospel because somebody they were close to opened them to the gospel, not because somebody hit them over the head with the Bible or drug them into church. So we're always going to challenge you to do that. But I'm also going to challenge you to be aware of who's influencing who. I always tell my kids, I want you to be in relationships where you can help other people grow. I want you to be in relationships where you can grow. Just make sure you can tell what the difference is. Make sure you know who's influencing who. We've, as believers, we've got to go out into the world. You've got to get on a softball team of guys that, that don't believe or, or get involved in a club so you can meet people to, to help them understand the gospel. But you have to make sure that you're the one influencing and not being influenced. So in anticipation of uh, Survival Dan coming out and possibly not giving us useful pure water tips, I did a little research. And I found something, a couple of interesting things. I've always been kind of fascinated by a couple of these things. Uh, one is that a person can survive a couple of weeks without food, but only a couple of days without water. Now, even if you're in a harsh climate, even less time without shelter. But any water? No, it's got to be clean water. Because here's the thing. You can be stranded in the ocean, surrounded by thousands of gallons of water. Can't drink a drop of it. It doesn't make any sense, does it? I mean, you could die of thirst floating in water. It just doesn't make any sense. So I was like, okay, i got to understand this a little more because... There's got to be a way around that. Like maybe you can put the water through your sock. No, just kidding. Um, but there's got to be a way around that. So I did a little research on it and find out why. Here's why that happens. So interesting the way your body works. But basically, salt water has four times the salt content that our blood naturally has. So when you try to drink salt water, your body is triggered to try to flush the extra sodium out. So your body will get rid of water, trying to get the sodium out at a faster rate than you're bringing it in, and eventually will actually dehydrate itself, cause your brain to swivel, and you'll go into a coma. So the answer is, if you're out on a, if you're on a, on a boat stranded, you're better off to not drink anything than to drink the salt water. It'll kill you faster to drink the salt water. Isn't that true about some of the things that we let into our life? Aren't we better off sometimes to... Watch nothing if that's what we're going to watch. Or to read nothing if that's what we're going to read. Or to maybe not be around that person if we can't keep them from influencing us in a certain way. It's an interesting story that I found um, of this crocodile that's in Africa. I mean, sorry, Australia. He's in like a reptile zoo. And over time, the owner of the zoo realized that he was turning orange, as you can see by the picture. He's actually, that's not like he he didn't just get finished playing in the mud. He's actually orange. So they were concerned about it because, of course, he's one of their pets. They love him. And they said, he must be getting a disease. He must be getting ready to die. So they begin to investigate, try to figure out what's going on. Why is this happening? We've never seen this before. And they realize in his habitat, the thing that, that feeds water to his habitat has a filter on it. And he has taken to chewing on that and in so doing has damaged the filter so that it's no longer filtering the water, and there's a bacteria that's coming into his water that causes him to turn orange. 
Isn't that what happens to us sometimes? We either damage or disregard our filter and we turn orange. And sometimes we don't even realize it's happening. Thank you. So what do we do? If that's the case, it's so important to get this pure input into our mind. How do we do that? Well, I want to refer you to one of my favorite verses. One of my favorite verses in the entire Bible. It's Philippians 4.8. We're going to put it up on the screen. Philippians 4.8 says this. It says, Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So there you go. There's the list. There's the list of things you need to be thinking about. Whatever is true, easy enough. Whatever is honorable. Whatever is just or fair. Whatever is pure. Whatever's lovely. Whatever is commendable. Easy enough, right? All right, let's go home. But it's not easy, is it? It's not easy to do that. It's not easy to make yourself think about the good things because we're human, we're flawed. So how do we do that? There's a really good book that I've referred out many, many times. It's called Discipline of Godly Man. It's written by Kent Hughes. Women can also read it. It's really disciplines of a godly person. Um, There's a little bit of man stuff in there, but for the most part, it's good for both. And he has a quote in there that really speaks to this, and I want to share that quote with you. It says, a Christian mind demands constant negation. A Christian mind is impossible without the discipline of refusal. Let me read that again. A Christian mind demands constant negation. A Christian mind is impossible without the discipline of refusal. What's he saying? He's saying, look, in order to have a renewed mind, you have to eliminate the bad stuff. So let's take another look at that verse. Let's look at it a little differently. So what do I have to get out of my brain? I have to get out whatever is untrue, whatever is dishonorable, whatever is unjust, whatever is impure, whatever is unlovely, or whatever is deplorable. You've got to get that stuff out of your brain. You've got to actively make an effort to remove that stuff from your brain to allow room for the good stuff. And again, nobody's perfect. We get... We can't, none of us can do that perfectly. It's not about being perfect. It's about being intentional. It's about being thoughtful. It's about looking at what's getting into your head and saying, you know what? I'm going to trade that for this. That's impure. This is pure. That's dishonorable. This is honorable. I'm going to consciously make trades in my time. I'm going to allow myself a little bit of TV time at night where I can watch something that doesn't teach me anything, but it's funny. But I'm going to trade some of that time for, I'm going to spend some time learning about Jesus. Here's the most important part. The basis for the renewed mind is Scripture. There's no substitute for that. Scripture is the only thing, it's the most, it's the purest form of food for our mind. So we have to spend time in Scripture. You have to let God speak to you through the Scripture. I mean, I would encourage you, 
get a study Bible. We have a great example of one in the Resource Center, ESV Study Bible. Get a study Bible to help you read Scripture, but you've got to spend some time in the Scripture. Now, let me say this. There's also many other fantastic resources to help you interpret Scripture, and there's nothing wrong with that. I would really encourage you, get, get into some of those resources. Dig a little deeper. If you go to our Resource Center, you can find all kinds of things to teach you more about how to understand Scripture. And there's nothing wrong with that. When we get ready to preach on Sundays, we use resources to help us interpret the Scripture, to help us decide, to find background, all that stuff. But Scripture has to be in there somewhere directly. One of the things that I thought was interesting, Melissa's reading a book now called um, uh, Women of the Word, I think. I can't read that because it's a woman book. Um, She's reading a book called Woman of the Word, written by Jen Wilkins, is her name. And she talks about this idea of the only way to really enjoy something is to learn about it. And so I was reading this section of it, and I'm like, wow, that is so right on. Because here's the thing. If you have a hobby, how do you enjoy it more? You learn more about it. Like when I was, when I was younger, I collected baseball cards. And I'll just learn more about it. I just wanted to find out which ones were valuable, which ones weren't, you know, all the different things, how to do it better. You know, you just, you're, you're absorbing it constantly. I'm a little bit of a Disney fan. A little bit. I read books about Disney. I enjoy them. I like to find out more about how it happened and how they find excellence and how they're creative and, and the reason behind the things they do. Nothing wrong with that, but that's how we enjoy things. We learn about it. How do we enjoy our spouses? I mean, when you get married, you don't really know them, right? You know this version of them that you've been presented. Okay? Once you get married, you've learned the real them. But the way that you learn to appreciate them is to really get to know them and to find out how God's programmed them and to find out what it is that God's put in them and how you can be a part of that. So if that's the case, if the true way to enjoy something is to spend time learning about it, then how can we not be spending time in Scripture? The Bible says delight in the Lord. We can't possibly delight in the Lord if we don't understand, if we don't spend time learning about him. If we spend more time learning about anything else other than that, then we're doing ourselves a disservice. Because there is one ultimate joy. It's Jesus. So why don't we spend more time doing that? There's another good quote in that uh, the book that I just really enjoy. It says this, The heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. The heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. Think about that for a minute. Could you ever fall completely in love with your spouse if you didn't really know them? Could you ever really enjoy a hobby if you didn't learn a lot about it, get better at it? The heart can't love what the mind doesn't know. If that's the case, then how can our heart be given to Jesus if we don't continue to know and learn and understand him better? There's so many great ways to do that. There's access today is just incredible to things. I mean, you can go on, you can go on the web and do a, go to YouTube and search John Piper. I mean, 
he does like a daily devotional that just blow your mind. And he just has answers to a lot of the questions we have as Christians. I mean, there are so many resources. There's podcasts. There's, there's great preachers all over this country that you can listen to every week if you want to. There's so many resources available today that were not available in the past. It's such an opportunity. But with that comes danger because there's other things that are available that we have to be careful of. And that's where all this comes in. How do we protect our mind? You know, one of the one of the questions I get a lot of times is, um, you know, what what do I do? Like, what I don't really know where to go. And to be honest, that's a hard question for me to answer because there are so many good options. I mean, my first thing, of course, is always go to the resource center. There's a whole bunch of books back there that you can check out and find out more about, you know, this whole idea of following Christ. But you just kind of got kind of let God lead you. Go out there and research. And there's another part of us today that are sitting here and you're like, you know, this is all interesting, but you haven't taken that first step because that first step is all important. That very first step of turning your life, that gospel that we talked about in the first 11 chapters of Romans, if that doesn't happen, then you're kind of spinning your wheels, if I'm being honest. I mean, if you decide you're going to become proficient at baseball card collecting and you never get any baseball cards, it's kind of pointless, right? In the same way, I've watched people who know so much about Scripture, way more than I do, that are still not going to have eternal life because of one thing. It requires at some point a step of faith. Because, see, you can ask questions all day, and you can read, and you can find answers, but I can never explain you into belief. It's not possible. I can try to answer your questions. I can send you to resources. We can give you things to read, but we can never, ever give you enough intellectual information for you to accept Christ. At some point, you have to take a leap of faith. You have to take a step. And that's what's so incredible about it. Because once you take that step, your whole life opens up. And there's some of you here today that are, are struggling with that. And I just want to challenge you right here. I'm gonna, I just want to come at you hard. If this is something that you've struggled with, something you feel God tugging on your heart, something that you know a step you need to take, you've got to take it. You've got to do it. Because the other side of that decision it's amazing. It opened, opens up the door to a life of joy, a relationship. I mean, imagine, think about the most rewarding relationships in your life and how you'd like to duplicate those. What if I could introduce you to one that's even better than that? Think about the most fun you have as a hobby. What if I could introduce you to something that's so much more critical than that? Some of you are here today, I want to give you an opportunity to do that. It's a simple it's a simple prayer, um, but it's a big step. It's a big step of faith. So I'm going to ask if you guys would all bow your heads, close your eyes, and if you're here today and, and that's a step you want to take, if you're here today and you know that God's been calling you, that God's calling out for you and he's saying, hey, I want to be the Lord of your life. 
I want to take over. And it's easy to answer that call. It's a simple prayer, and it goes like this. It says, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and that I can't save myself, that no matter how hard I try, it's already too late for me to save myself. Lord, I also know that you offered the greatest gift in history when you sent your son Jesus to take my place on the cross. And I want to accept that. I want to accept that gift. And I want to open up a world, open up a relationship that will change everything about my life, Lord, because I want to begin renewing my mind with the things that make you happy. Lord, I want to give my life over to you. And then just thank him. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being there for me. Thank you for taking care of me. Thank you for being the one who can save me. God, I just lift up these folks tonight who have made that decision today, that have made that decision, Lord. I just pray that you would be in their life, that you reveal yourself to them. Lord, I pray that most of all, as we go through our week, that you would teach us to be more focused on you and less focused on the things that draw us away from you, Lord. Help us to see those things, identify those things, and to replace them with things that are of you, Lord. Lord, please watch over us, help us to draw glory to you in everything we do. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at westpines.org. If you would like to speak with somebody about beginning a relationship with Jesus or ask any questions you have about this teaching, please call at 954-432-0321. Or you can email us at podcast at westpines.org.